Welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. It's the 2nd of June 2022. I'm taking my constitutional around the hill. Anna's not with me today, she's got things to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to <laughs> see if I can do a podcast. And my subject today is the Jubilee, the Platinum Jubilee of uh, Elizabeth Saxe Coburg Gotha. The Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom, Great Britain and Northern Ireland, constitutional monarch, unelected head of state, head of the established church, thanks to some nefarious goings on by Henry VIII, way, way, way back centuries ago, in his break away from the Roman Church and the power of the Roman Church. And mostly this thing is a culture war diversion to take eyes off the corruption of the Tory government, Partygate. The money in the billions that they're given to their mates and crap, substandard PPE equipment for the NHS in the midst of the pandemic. Which, incidentally, hasn't subsided, despite what people are saying. Despite what people are saying. Now, today, it's Thursday, but it's what we call in the UK a bank holiday. That means everybody gets a day's holiday, apart from essential workers. I dare say there'll be some police on duty and and so forth, but basically businesses uh, close and the workers get a day's paid holiday. And today and tomorrow are sort of one-off bank holidays to suit the occasion of, of the Jubilee. And it seems to me that that is right, this really is a culture war diversion. And the purpose of very many culture wars is in fact to divert attention from pressing problems and of course at this time as well as the uh, matters that I mentioned because we have a massive uh, uh, cost of living crisis inflation the highest for decades and supply chain problems uh, that goes right the way across from foodstuffs to manufactured goods and so forth and uh, impending climate catastrophe and in fact ecological catastrophe I have to say because it's not just climate it's also soil and water and so forth and we have this big razzmatazz around the fact that the, the monarch has reigned for 70 years I, I'm old enough to remember the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. And I do remember it quite quite vividly. And I remember a few years after that, how everybody 
I might have been sort of like nine or ten or something. Everybody from our council estate went and stood at the side of the, the main road because a member of the royal family, I don't think it was even the Queen, I think it was Princess Margaret, went along the main road somewhere, going somewhere in, in a limo, and everybody stood there and waved and, and shouted. And... I also remember in, the, I think it was 1969 or thereabouts, give or take here or two, when Prince Charles came to Wales. At that time I was living and working in a factory in Wales. Prince Charles came to be enthroned or invested uh, uh, as, as the Prince of Wales at Carnarvon Castle. And fully expected, I, I fully expected the... Uh, the, the people not to turn out but they did they lined the roads in Carnarvon and into Carnarvon cheering and flag waving they really got kind of suckered by it the fierce and independent uh, Welsh of this part of Wales you know North Wales and, but they fell for it they went for it and that was greatly disappointing now I, I, at that time I worked in a, a paint factory and the paint factory to do its little bit of a Utilising this circus for, for PR and advertising, some fr some advertising, I would say free advertising, it wasn't free because they supplied hundreds of gallons of paint so that all the houses on the route that uh, Charles was going to take in, into, uh, into Carnarvon would all be painted and have a nice fresh lick of paint, all bright colours. We supplied that for free. Meanwhile, I mean, we're working in, in the factory, clocking on. Two minutes late, you lose a quarter, all that stuff. Absolutely pathetic wages. Just about stay alive on the wages. Horrible, dirty work, smelly. Uh, played havoc with your health and your lungs with the fumes and so forth. But they, they for, saw fit to give hundreds of gallons of paint to celebrate a, a kind of... In, imponderably rich and imponderably privileged and imponderably inbred Prince of Wales. So, I mean, obviously not everybody bought it. There was some nice satirical pop songs. I remember one in particular. It's called Carlo. And Carlo is Welsh for Charles. And, uh, but it's also a very popular name for a sheepdog. So... <laughs> There was a sort of a, a satirical song doing the rounds called Carlo. Um, so, of course, they didn't get a completely clear run at it, you know. Anyway, I, I, so I, what I'm recounting there is, 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 a, is a lifetime of living in this Elizabethan era and in this ambience of deference and well Stockholm Syndrome that's the syndrome when captives fall in love with their captors and start taking cause with their cause and it's a recognised psychological syndrome that you get when there are kidnappings and, and these kind of things Stockholm Syndrome, the whole nation is gripped by Stockholm Syndrome and has been for, for most of my life Now I exaggerate slightly the whole nation, but certainly sufficient. 
And it's just amazing how this works because it seems so infectious that the, the most unlikely people seem to get taken in by it. So uh, on Twitter today, the Green Party of the United Kingdom, you'd expect to be, if they've got any sense or any proper analysis, they would be eco-socialists and republicans. They certainly wouldn't be royalists. But there they go, tweeting it out, dutifully licking the boot of royalty on Twitter. The Green Party. The Scottish Green Party, by contrast, did the thing of uh, walking out of the debate on whether Holyrood should congratulate uh, royalty or not. And the Greens walked out. So all power to the Scottish Greens and fuck you to the British Greens. And I've noticed that they're kind of taking a turn to the right of, uh, of late, you know. Their analysis isn't robust enough to withstand that kind of impact. Who else? Angela Rayner, for God's sake. What's the matter with her? And the, the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, is, is a real royal arse licker. Well, he's Sir Keir, isn't he? So what do you expect? Pillock of the establishment. So there's a party which calls itself Labour, presumably because it wants to pursue and champion and represent and work very hard for the interests of people who labour, the working class. Celebrating an institution which declares, just by its very existence and its very nature, that worth and value as a person can be inherited. Because it is the head of state, the monarch, the ru our ruler, and we are all technically, legally, subjects of that ruler. So that ruler can subject us and subjugate us. These are all the same word. As a matter of the Constitution. And we have somebody who's purporting to represent Labour speaking up for this abomination. So I, th I think it needs really explaining what's going on here. And what we've got is uh, an operation, a psyops, that's operating on, on the level of symbols. It doesn't operate on the level of concrete reality, of soil and factories and work and hospitals and ambulance stations and shops and supermarkets and warehouses and fishing boats. It operates on the level of the imaginary symbolic how do all right and uh, I'm not trying to be Lacanian about this you know I'm just using this term in this a very obvious and a very ordinary f fashion symbolic so the, this, this symbolic world is, is, a, is a world where things stand in for other things. And where institutions and objects and 
artworks and tropes and stories and narratives that do work on our psyches and in which the agenda is to structure the, 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 the ordinary psyche of the, the average psyche of the citizen to structure it so that it's in accord with the status quo, the political status quo, the economic status quo, and can function as a unit within that system. So how does royalty act symbolically? Well, it's, what does it stand in for? It stands in for, as a, the, the one notion I've already mentioned, that worth can be inherited when the head of state is hereditary. Obviously, the most significant person in in the uh, in the the most significant person in the state is one whose significance derives from an accident of birth. Well, it's just plain balmy. But of course, in the old days, people did think think that that, that there was goodness in the blood, you know, and and that greatness could be inherited, which of course we know is bollocks, because by now there have been enough descendants of able rulers who themselves are completely pathetic and not very good at anything and when they're getting control they uh, inevitably make a complete fuck up and disaster ensues and the the people who suffer of course are are the, the ordinary people the little cogs in the machine. So it stands in for that, but it all, as I mentioned, but it also stands in for, you know, the broader notion that that some some people are just worth more than more than others. It also stands in for the notion that society is properly organised as a hierarchy. It also stands in for the notion that well, we can talk about democracy, but we don't want too much of it. No, I will. And in the UK, uh, we can see that writ large because we're, we've got an unelected second chamber, the so-called House of Lords, where cronies get appointed. And this this chamber has certain certain power, and it can, it can recommend legislation, it can send its ideas to the Commons and all the rest of it. So there's a certain amount of political power accruing to the Lords. A small number of them are still hereditary. Not all the hereditary peers were abolished, even though Tony Blair had a go at abolishing them. And the bishops of the Church of England are automatically in there, the main ones anyway. And then the rest of crown is appointed by the Prime Minister of the day. So unelected second chamber, unelected head of state, the Queen. Virtually no workplace democracy anywhere in the country that I can see. We have little bits of democracies in our trade unions and political parties, but even that's Sometimes I would say compromised, or not not as well functioning as it might be. Certainly, the Labour Party. Any notion of it being an internally democratic party has gone out of the window since Starmer has been uh, purging his way through the uh, the socialists amongst the uh, Labourites. So, not a democracy. 
And the Queen stands in for, let's keep it that way. The message the Queen sends is, let's keep it that way. And I suppose, you, I should mention another way the country's not a democracy, is the voting system. You have a choice between two cheeks of the same arse. You know, you've got, you've got the, the right wing, or the unashamed fascist Tory party, that by now has come out of the, uh, the fascist closet now, is just openly fucking fascist. And then the Labour Party that pretends that it isn't, but is basically in pretty well the same neck of the woods. And Starmer's f- fucking flag-shagging and kissing the Queen's bottom is uh, a pure and unequivocal proof of that um, interpretation. So the whole idea of monarchy is to, uh, in its modern form, the Queen has got no kind of direct political power. Even though some people think that she does, you get people go on social media saying, why doesn't the Queen stop them? Well, I suggest you kind of do a little bit of reading around politics <laughs> if you think that's a, a possibility even. It isn't that, it's the, the symbolic work, the monarchy does symbolic work. Uh, on controlling the mob by controlling its, 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 its thought patterns and its emotional commitments and so forth. Yeah. Even if not everybody buys it, it still functions. It functions as a nice divide and rule for the monarchy against the monarchy, for the jubilee against the jubilee. I suppose I want to idea that they spent £12 million on giving every school child in the country a book commemorating 70 years of Elizabeth. The whole thing's cost £50 million. It's taxpayers' money, it's not the Queen's money. It's your money, it's our money. And the country is creaking under the weight of food banks. There's a food bank in every, every town. We haven't got a food bank here. Tiny little town, got a food bank. So, I'm looking forward in my lifetime to getting rid of the monarchy and having a constitutional settlement, a new settlement in the UK. And it seems to me it should go along the lines that have been followed in Chile. Now, Chile had a a neoliberal constitution set up after the 73 coup. CIA backed coup, which end, ended, despite the uh, ministrations of Milton Friedman, which ended crashing the Chilean economy and resulted in a military dictatorship which disappeared thousands and thousands of people and tortured thousands of people. So recently, the people of Chile were. Uh, saying to themselves, well, we've got this, this constitution that's a part of that era, and we've moved away from that now. We need a new constitution. And they voted for a constitution, a new constitution, and in a referendum, because there was enough public pressure to get a referendum. And in the referendum, they were also asked to decide whether the constitution would be decided, worked upon, drafted by the current uh, parliament, 
or by, by a people's commission and they voted for a people's commission and that is how we should do it it shouldn't be decided by the civil service the Tory party the Labour party the House of Commons the House of Lords the clergy it should be decided by people's people's forums elected in various parts of the country and it needs to be done very carefully and over a period of time I would say it wouldn't be too too much to spend five years on that and for us to muddle along with an interim during that period so that it's really, really good, really well thought out. And in which we've got voting that you can't fiddle and democracy at all levels of life, not just local and national government, all levels of life. Then we might be starting to work towards a decent society. There's no reason why this country, in fact there is no reason why the world shouldn't be peaceful. And there's no reason why the populations of the world shouldn't have enough to eat, somewhere to lay their head. Leisure time, not to be worked to death, should be a right not to be worked to death. Freedom of movement, civil liberties, freedom of expression. All this is possible, nobody going hungry, nobody sleeping out in the open. Health care for everybody. And public health uh, work should be intensified by a factor of 10 or 20. So that, you know, every human being enjoys good, good health and has a good lifetime. Education, of course, free education, proper education. In other words, teaching the young humans some thinking skills, some critical analysis skills, some reflective skills, some creative skills, rather than inculcating with noxious ideologies. Then we might be getting somewhere, but uh, at the moment none of that looks that likely. These ideas are bubbling around under the surface, but uh, at the moment the the toxic, inegalitarian championing of championing of gross inequalities of wealth and power, which is the stupid jubilee, is is deafening, to be honest, and is drowning everything else out for the time being. Now, I know I probably live in a kind of a bubble, but what I'm seeing on social media is every time some uh, some Dunning-Kruger, Stockholm Syndrome, stupid Conservative MP stands up and, and, and parrots the uh, wishing Her Majesty well for the 70th, blah, blah, and lets her all have a jolly good celebrate. I notice that hardly anybody who chooses to comment has got a good word to say for any of this. And these people are getting piled on like there's, there's no tomorrow. And you wonder, well, where are their supporters? Where are their friends? And I'm not sure it's going down that well. I mean, it's, it's a bit hard to, to, to say here, I have to say. I mean, the place is in the throes of like holiday crowds, with it being a bank holiday and a, and a fairly fine day. Beaches like a... The beaches like an ant's nest. It tends to be the, the, the larger of the businesses they got the bunting up. 
the kind of the uh, the garage bios. They got a big picture of the Queen, and the uh, the do-it-yourself shop's got bunting all over it. But there's surprisingly not very much. And even now, there's we're, we're mostly English offcomers here. This this district, it's nationalist. We have a nationalist MP, and we have a nationalist counts, town council. Um, when we have, sorry, when we have a nas- nationalist county council, Gwynedd County Council, he's a uh, Cymru. So I suspect that it's not surprising; it's not going to get too much truck. But I'm not sure. We shall see. We shall see. Anyway. A plague on the institution of royalty, a plague on the uh, unwritten British constitution, a plague on the leader of the Labour Party and a plague on the leader of the Tory Party and all of their lickspittles and lackeys and running dogs of imperialism. Pox on them, is what I say. And the quicker we get rid of this irrational, Ruritanian, antediluvian, inegalitarian, and frankly, toxic, malignant institution, the better. Well, I kind of hope I've convinced you, but I don't suppose I have, if you're of the other persuasion, because this stuff goes very deep, doesn't it? That's what's occurring to me, is just how... What a number has been done on, on the people of this island. What an absolute psyops number. And... Whilst I'm having my own internal debate to, to the extent to which one um, attempts to use Freud to try and understand these matters, these, uh, if you just put it crudely, these brainwashings, I think kind of thinking that we have to, because this stuff is being injected into the unconscious. How do you? You're not going uphill then? No, I've got to pop noise in. <laughs> At the moment, in, in, in the light of uh, what I've just been talking about, I have been. Uh, trying to do an in-depth reconsideration, re-evaluation of how we might use Freud and uh, uh, offshoots of Freud in attempting to understand the, the depth with which these psyops and, and symb- the, the psyops symbolic institutions penetrate in, in, into, into the psyche. I mean, you can argue that you shouldn't even consider the psychic life of power, that all we've got is behaviour. That's the only... And we're on safe ground with behaviour because you can measure it, observe it, quantify it, count it and all the rest of it. Whereas what's going on behind people's eyes is to some extent un- unreachable. Ostensibly, even though I kind of think that's probably where behaviourism goes wrong, right at the outset there. That 
The, the, the privacy of, of the mind isn't as private as, as, as people think. It isn't as individual and non-collective as people think. But that's a whole other story. But nevertheless, you know, we, we, we are having to deal with all the difficulties of, of, of hermeneutics. Now, it seems to me that hermeneutics is indispensable. But at the same time, there's many problems, there are many objections which can be thrown. Just at the whole idea that we can get anything useful that way or anything dependable. And the other problem with this approach, of course, is the way it can, it can, is the way it can slander. The, the the working class. You, you you can end up having to say, well, the working class is stupid because they're so easily brainwashed, and we, the vanguard, they've seen through it all. The vanguard of the revolution. We must therefore ta- take a lead and and treat the mass of people the same way that the establishment treats them as cannon fodder or as numbers on a spreadsheet and that is a, that is a big problem with, with uh, taking this tack and she get commentators like Vivek Chiba who, who makes a lot of this point he thinks that in situations where the working class has the information and it draws correct conclusions. In other words, everybody working in a factory, like a unionised factory, knows where his interest lies because it's obvious to him or her. Just in virtue of the daily lived experience of working in the factory, that tells you where your interests lie, where the interests of the owners of the factory lie and all the rest of it. It's kind of in front of you. You live it, you experience it. And that people aren't duped on that level. But when it comes to sort of, I don't know, uh, more comprehensive analysis of the political situation, shall we say, that they generally don't have access to, to information. And they're fed misinformation through the Daily, the daily Mail and the, the Sun and the Telegraph and all the rest of it, which are just basically propaganda sheets, which are not particularly concerned with telling the truth. And at that point, it is possible for the working class to be deceived. If he's correct about that point, we don't actually need to elaborate a Freudian Marxism or a Marxist Freudianism or whatever you want to call it. We just need to make sure that proper information is getting out there and it's known to be proper information. Which I, mean, I kind of go along with that to some extent, certainly with the plea for alternative media. And we do see growth in that direction. And that is fraught with difficulty given that the tech platforms, which are likely to be the, the means of you know, distributing this uh, inf- real information, are themselves owned by uh, billionaires, they are themselves oligarchical setups. And they do censor. 
and they're not necessarily going to give us a clear run at getting the information out there and in fact they probably won't so there's a struggle then for that, that means of distributing information now I'm saying that and I think it's absolutely necessary that we get the alternative media but it seems to me this, this jubilee thing what I'm saying is that in, in some, some instances in some places for some people it goes very very deep it kind of hit, hits at a, at a I, I don't know how to say this, you know, at a, at a deep level of the unconscious. It manipulates the unconscious. It's all, it is almost hypnotism. And Freud's perception that we are not masters in our own house, that there are other forces within our psyches that make us behave, think, feel in ways that are not in accord with our interests, not in accord with our conscious analysis, with, uh, or with the, the needs of our egos, you might say. Is an observation, an apesu, that's pretty well undeniable. And even if we only start there without buying the rest of the apparatus, Libido theory, Oedipus complex, death instinct. At least we can kind of start getting an understanding of how these manipulations work in that way, in, in terms of the psychic life of power, as Judith Butler put it. And that then you've got a chance of replacing it, because from where I'm standing, if this shit endures much longer, our species descends rapidly into extinction. Okay. All right, well, look after yourselves and make knowledge great again. Over and out.